0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Kato Arts, counsel at Lydian in Belgium. On the program, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we are connecting with our member firm from Northern Ireland. Joining us on the program is Aisling Byrne, partner with the firm A&L Goodbody. For decades, companies worldwide have been adopting measures to promote and address diversity in the workplace. Diversity has many definitions and these concepts continue expanding. Workplace diversity typically encompasses familiar terms such as those which include race, national origin, color, gender, age, citizenship, sexual orientation, and religion. Today's guests will be updating us about workplace diversity relative to our jurisdiction and will be providing our insights in a shifting and growing paradigm in diversity namely neurodiversity. Aisling, welcome to our program. How are you today?
1: I'm great, Cato. I'm in Belfast. It's a little bit cloudy, but all is good here. Thank you.
0: Great. Cloudy in Brussels too, so we're in the same place. We are. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you here in our program today. Let's just start things off by discussing what neurodiversity is, because that may be a concept that is not known to all of the listeners here today.
1: Yes, that's correct, Cato. And as you say, there's an expanding range of protected characteristics and neurodiversity is becoming one of them. And I don't think there's any strict dictionary definition of neurodiversity, but when we look at what is neurotypical, that relates to people whose brain processes information in a way that you would typically expect. So neurodivergent individuals are people whose brains function and processes information in a different way. And that can encompass a whole range of different conditions. I mean, many conditions that I think a lot of people will be familiar with, like autism, Asperger's, but you know, can, can extend to dyscalculia, dyslexia, Tourette's syndrome. So there's a very wide range of conditions that could be captured by this terminology of neurodiversity. And when we think about the percentage of the population that are neurodivergent, I think the most recent statistic that I read mentioned that about 15% of the population are neurodivergent. And then I think when you translate that into the workplace, then approximately one in seven employees will be neurodivergent. So I think it's natural then that there's going to be a knock-on impact in the workplace. And it's something then that employers need to recognize and in many cases applaud and welcome neurodivergent people into the workforce. Yes, for sure. It actually surprises me.
0: That's a lot. I didn't yeah. know that. So for sure, yes. I mean, that might be one of the reasons why there's such an increase in claims. But what do you think are you know, other reasons that that have caused an increase in neurodiversity employment claims in the UK?
1: Yes. Yeah, so again, recent headlines in relation to the increase in the number of claims, quite staggering in terms of the increase. A 40% rise in employment tribunal claims relating to autism. 31% rise in cases relating to Asperger's. 14% rise in relation to cases involving dyslexia. So claims definitely on the increase. And I suppose there's probably a number of reasons that contribute to that. I think increased awareness amongst the general population is probably one of them. And many larger organizations are rolling out initiatives to support neurodiverse employees. So we've got the likes of Microsoft, J.P. Morgan Chase and SAP to name but a few. I think also then education, people are becoming more educated in relation to what neurodiversity actually means. And there's been a huge increase in diagnoses of neurodivergent people. I think one US study from Autism Speaks recognized that there had been a 600% increase in autism diagnoses in the US over the past 20 years. So when you think about that and and how it translates then into the workplace, I think it's a natural knock-on effect that there are going to be an increase in the number of, of cases and claims as a result.
0: Yeah, I guess that's right. There is a lot of, you know, debate around that. And there is more and more people who recognize the problem or at least the diversity amongst people. So I guess that makes sense that that would also include the workplace. But as always, I'm wondering if, if the law is keeping up with that pace. So are there already any protections for neurodiverse employees in the workplace?
1: Yes, as typically happens, Cato, I think this is probably a universal problem. It takes a while for the legislation to catch up in, in what's actually happening in the real world. And I think that goes for neurodiversity. But whilst we have the usual protected characteristics in the UK, such as you know sex, age, race, etc., we also have disability. And I think that's one of the categories that can capture a lot of neurodivergent conditions. Now, some people with neurodivergent conditions may not be entirely happy to be classified as disabled, but the flip side of that is that they will be afforded the protections under the disability legislation. So in England and Wales, that legislation is the Equality Act of 2010. In the Northern Irish context, we are operating under the Disability Discrimination Act of 1995, but essentially it's the same protection across the whole of the UK. So I think provided that the condition satisfies the legal test of disability under the legislation, that's where many of the cases arise. And the test is that it's a physical or mental impairment that has a long-term and substantial effect on the person's ability to carry out day-to-day activities. And in many cases, then, the neurodivergent condition can be categorised as a disability under the legislation. And that, in turn, can give them the benefit of the protection. So, for example, under UK law, where someone has a disability and they're placed as a, as a disadvantage, the employer then is required to make reasonable adjustments to try and alleviate that disadvantage for the disabled individual.
0: Okay, that all sounds very familiar and would be very similar in Belgium. So actually, the law doesn't have to keep up because it already exists, right? There is a certain protection that the employees can make use of.
1: Yeah, you're right, Kato. And I think we've seen a similar issue arise in relation to cases involving menopause so again, menopause, something that's been talked about a lot more, a bit like neurodiversity, but isn't typically covered as a protected characteristic in its own right. But now increasingly, people are bringing claims under the disability and the age legislation. And I suppose that's happening in a similar way in relation to neurodiversity.
0: And I guess a lot of that is, is happening through case law, right? Because the law is what it is. It's been there for 20, 30 years even if I recall the date correctly that you mentioned. So I was wondering, what is recent case law about? How is neurodiversity brought into that?
1: Yes, so we've we've talked about the increase and and there's certainly been a a huge increase in the number of claims. And there's a broad range in terms of what those claims cover. But I suppose if we start at the beginning of the employment relationship and in relation to recruitment, if an organisation doesn't get it right at recruitment stage, it can stop neurodivergent people from even entering into the workforce. And so that's why those claims are particularly important. Um, There was one claim in England and Wales, Government Legal Services and Brooks in 2017 that involved an individual with Asperger's, and they were required to sit a multiple choice test, and that put them at a a disadvantage in relation to accessing that employment. Um, They brought a claim, it went to the Employment Appeals Tribunal in England, and the claimant was successful on the basis that the employer should have revisited its recruitment processes to see whether there was another way that they could operate that so that it didn't place that individual as a disadvantage because of their condition. And one of the outcomes of that case was that the employer was required to look at their recruitment practices to see if they could make changes to make it easier for people with disabilities going forward. So, you know, that was an important case in the UK. And then following on from that, we had a similar case in the Northern Irish jurisdiction it was BT, British Telecommunications and wire Again, access to employment case in that the claimant in this case had applied for a position and was required to sit what was called a situational strength test. So almost like an aptitude test as part of the recruitment process. Um, and again, the individual had Asperger's, it placed them at a disadvantage and they were unsuccessful then in moving forward in the recruitment process. And when challenged, I think the tribunal in Northern Ireland upheld the claim on the basis that the employer should have looked again at another way of enabling that person to go through the recruitment process, because I think they satisfied all the other requirements for the role. It was just this particular test that placed them at a disadvantage. And that was a case that went all the way to the Court of Appeal in Northern Ireland, and the original decision was upheld. So you know, these cases are important and valuable. Particularly to people when they're trying to access employment, because I think that can be a particular hurdle for individuals. Um, and then there are cases when individuals are successful and are, are in employment, but the particular circumstances or seating arrangements put them at a disadvantage. And that was a case in point in Sherburne, again in, in England and Wales case from 2019, where the employee had autism and they were placed in in a seating area where there was a lot of traffic behind them. They found that very uncomfortable. It made them very agitated. And as a result, they were taken through a capability procedure. And when challenged in the tribunal, it was found that the employer hadn't made reasonable adjustments. They should have looked at the seating arrangements and recognized that the arrangements didn't suit this person because of their condition. So again, these types of cases are very important in trying to increase awareness and improve conditions for for employees in the workplace.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right in saying that increasing awareness is key to the success because an employer wouldn't necessarily know that a certain test is putting someone at a disadvantage, well, in comparison with other employees. So that's very interesting. And, you know, raising awareness, making sure that employers know what to do is one point. If a client would ask you, what can we specifically do? to make sure that we support neurodiverse employees? What would you advise them?
1: Education and training, as you've mentioned, Cato, you know, awareness probably be top of the list, you know, ensuring that people involved in management are trained to recognize the problems that can be faced by individuals and that all staff really are trained to be sympathetic and supportive of neurodivergent individuals in the workplace. And then I think going back to the very start, of the employment life cycle, you know, review and recruitment practices and procedures. Because as we've mentioned, if that disadvantages somebody at an early stage, then they won't even become an employee. So getting that right is crucial. And then looking at things like performance management. In some cases, you may need to tailor your procedures to recognize that not all individuals perform in the same way in the workplace. It may be necessary to amend, and in some cases, change performance management procedures. And then just a really simple step for individuals who may struggle with dyslexia, for example, you know, is there another way that you can use technology to make life easier for them? So if we take the classic example of the employment handbook, you know, I don't know what it's like, Cato, in your jurisdiction, but in the UK, an employment handbook can sometimes run to, you know, 150, 200 pages. And for somebody with dyslexia, that can be very disconcerting. So think about other ways of approaching that, perhaps with infographics. In some cases, that might be of assistance. So I think really trying to be creative and innovative and education and awareness, I think, are the key points.
0: And all of that against the background of reasonableness, right? Because it's reasonable adjustment. So that's, again, topic of debate for, for lawyers then, I guess.
1: Yeah. And as you say, reasonableness, I think that's probably the term that's most used in a tribunal in both England and Wales and Northern Ireland, you know, reasonableness is key to all of this. Very
0: interesting. Are there any other initiatives in the UK that employers should be aware of?
1: Yeah, I think continuing with the trend of improving awareness, Neurodiversity in Business is a non-profit forum established in March 2022, and it was launched to try and support neurodiverse employees in the workplace and raise awareness to ensure that the participation of neurodivergent individuals in the workplace be supportive. So, I think there are some very well established founding members of that organization. You know, we have AstraZeneca, IBM, KPMG, Capita. So, I think it's good that very high profile companies are recognizing a need to support individuals. When we look at the mission of that organization, it's very much in line with what we've discussed, Cato. So, education. You know, we've mentioned that's that's key, Um, demonstrating how companies can benefit from neurodivergent employees. I think they're very often more productive and their contribution towards a business can't be underestimated. Um, Part of the other mission statement is celebrate. Celebrate these people in the workplace. Again, recognize the strengths that they can bring to your organization. And then the final one is empowerment, you know, supporting neurodivergent employees and guiding them through their professional life. So I think initiatives like that show that there's definitely a trend towards improving and um, the position for neurodivergent employees in the workplace.
0: Yes, for sure. And I think celebration and support are definitely are very positive ways to close this podcast. Aisling, thank you so much for sharing your insights about the neurodiversity and its impact on employment matters. This has been a very interesting and informative discussion for our listeners and especially for employers in the UK. We invite you back again to update our listeners on any new developments. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Cato. If you would like to connect with Aisling, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website at ela.law, where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Kato Aertz. Thanks for listening.